This is an RNZ podcast. ABC News with Glenn Lauder. Health experts say some people are naturally disengaging with the pandemic and are becoming more complacent about COVID-19. Cases and hospitalisations are again on the rise. And while many Australians are now eligible to have their fourth COVID vaccination, almost 30% are yet to have their third. Well, that was the story that led the news for the ABC in Australia last Tuesday afternoon. And if you substitute Australia for New Zealand and tweak that stat a little, well, you probably could have run that in a news bulletin here. A professor of public health at the University of Sydney, Julie Leesk, says many people want to get on with their lives, despite the health advice. They feel like the, you know, that vaccination stuff is behind them. It's sort of very 2021. Well, that also echoes attitudes right here, right now. And after that, the ABC News carried the latest on a COVID-stricken cruise ship. More than 100 crew and passengers on the Coral Princess, which is due in Sydney tomorrow, are infected. Everyone who's tested positive is isolating on the ship. And of the identified cases, only four are passengers. Now, if anything illustrates the desire to move on from COVID, it's taking a cruise on a ship likely to have COVID cases aboard. So what should we expect from the media serving people who increasingly also want them to move on, even though COVID-19 hasn't? Hayden Donnell now reports. Well, the pandemic's over for all intents and purposes, but we're still having to deal with this nonsense. Isn't that ultimately why we're feeling miserable? Because actually, we just want to break. If I was in government, what I'd do right now is I'd be like, green setting, guys, go for your life, do what you want, party, party, whatever, just for the mental break from it. That's News Talk ZB's Heather Duplessy-Allen on her show last week. The announcement that the pandemic is over would have been news to the families of the eight people reported to have died with COVID-19 in New Zealand that day. But Duplessy-Allen is far from an outlier in wanting to place a still-raging pandemic in the rearview mirror. Recently, a senior staff executive sent staff a memo telling them their audience is, quote, over COVID and has, quote, actively moved on from COVID content. It implored them to find cracker non-COVID stories on topics including cons, crime and safety, the cost of living, NZ culture and stuff everyone is talking about. Stuff's audience is part of a much wider group that's apparently actively moving on from COVID. National leader Christopher Luxon recently returned from a whirlwind overseas tour with this report. Um, what I can say to you is it's interesting to me that I've just come back from Singapore, Ireland and the UK. Uh, in most of those places, we didn't have a single COVID conversation. In places like Ireland, there's no mask wearing at all. That's all true. Many places around the world have dropped their COVID restrictions. But even if we are determined to ignore it, COVID has remained stubbornly real and is continuing to cause equally real harm. In the United States, hospitalizations and reinfections are rising with the increasing prevalence of the BA5 strain of Omicron. In the UK, about 13,000 hospital beds are currently occupied by COVID patients. Hospitals are dealing with staff absences, exhaustion, persistent backlogs and problems discharging patients. And the UK government is considering bringing back restrictions if the situation gets any worse. If that all sounds familiar, it's because pretty much the exact same story is playing out here. This is Association of General Surgeons President Rowan French on RNZ's Morning Report, talking about the number of elective procedures being delayed or cancelled amid a wave of COVID and winter flu. Is this as bad as you've ever seen it? 
Um, so I've got about 15 years as a consultant. It's certainly the worst I've ever seen it by a long shot. Um, not many of us felt like celebrating last Friday, um, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and I've got colleagues who are at 25 years and they say the same thing. So I certainly think, and we don't say that lightly, but I think it is the worst we've ever seen it, particularly with respect to our ability to uh, treat our patients' selective conditions. French went on to say that COVID patients are taking up a lot of the beds that would normally be used by people recovering from surgery, and he can't see an end in sight to the crisis. There's a jarring mismatch between this kind of talk and the concurrent loud harping about the need to move on from COVID. That's producing cognitive dissonance, not just in the public, but amongst media commentators, some of whom are now bobbling between berating our minimal remaining efforts to mitigate COVID-19 and lamenting the damage being caused by the uncontrolled spread of COVID-19. In some cases, these mental oscillations can take place in mere hours, as in the case of Newstalk ZB Wellington host Nick Mills. This is him on the morning of July 6. Michael Baker, let us get on with our lives You go back to your lab, do some intelligent work, get paid truckloads of money for doing it and live in an extremely flash house. But for me, I don't want to hear from you anymore. I want to get on with my life and our life. And here he is on Duplessis Allen's panel show, The Huddle, later that day. I'm absolutely terrified because it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I really do believe that. I think in all, all aspects... If we have to go back, and it will be based on hospitals going to have to be overcrowded. This, these numbers are terrifying. I really am concerned. Maybe if Nick Mills had listened closer to Michael Baker, his research on BA5 wouldn't have come as such a nasty surprise. To be fair to these hosts, their contradictory approach to COVID is pretty relatable. Even without any hard data to hand, it's safe to say many people have had it up to here with the pandemic. They want it to be over, and some of us are prepared to live in a state of suspended disbelief to act like that's the case. But COVID isn't over, and now many leading experts are saying it may never be. Last week, the project commissioned a poll which showed 38% of people agree with those experts. They believe COVID is here for good. Afterward, presenter Carnor Lloyd quizzed epidemiologist Tony Blakely about those results. As we heard in the poll there, most people think COVID is here to stay forever. Do you think that that is accurate? Uh, it's possible. It's rolling on. So remember influenza in 1918. We still get influenza every year. This is a coronavirus that could keep coming up every year. Blakely is among a number of epidemiologists and healthcare workers who have gone to the media lately to deliver the message that there's still a pandemic on. On last weekend's episode of News Hub Nation, Otago University's Michael Baker compared COVID to the inconvenient truth of climate change, another global threat that demands real change and ongoing action to mitigate. He went on to link COVID precautions to another common sense safety measure. So if, if you go out when you um, have this infection and you affect your friends and family and other people, you are going to be killing some people, just like drinking and driving. Over at the spin-off, microbiologist Susie Wiles stuck with the driving metaphor, imploring people to make popping on a mask as natural as clicking in your seatbelt. This recent flurry of cautious messaging stands in stark contrast to much of the media coverage over the last few months. Despite the fact that 10 to 20 people per day have been dying of COVID-19, that's had a muted response outside of the pro-forma coverage of the Ministry of Health's 1pm press releases. When COVID has been covered, the death toll has sometimes been superseded in the news by complaints from businesses about the few restrictions that still remain. 
Maybe that's not such a surprise. News organisations have a powerful commercial incentive to give their customers what they want, and as Stuff's executive said, audiences have moved on. But like a drunk party guest at 3am, coronavirus doesn't care that you're tired of it and you want it to leave. A month ago, Newsroom's Mark Dalder made that point in a prescient piece headline, COVID isn't over, it's just getting started. He joined me to talk about how the media can cover a huge problem that's not going away, even if it's not getting the clicks it used to. There's a general attitude that COVID is over, essentially, right? You know, the the word post-COVID appears in so many headlines and stand firsts and subheads these days, you know, without challenge or or controversy. That seems to be the general attitude that we are post-COVID. Obviously, sort of BA5 and the surge in cases has changed that. Uh, but for many months after the March peak, that was just the consensus, I guess. Isn't that just wrong? I mean, any objective analysis of the pandemic would say that it's been worse than it's ever been, and it's been worse than it's ever been for months now. Partly it's taking hints from government and and officials, right, who we moved to Orange. The amount of data that comes out in in regular releases from the Ministry of Health sort of shrinks a bit. The focus is no longer on cases. It's now on hospitalizations and deaths. And and I think once the downward trend started there, people kind of assumed, oh, it's going to get so low eventually that we won't really notice it. But they never actually stopped to see whether it did get that low. You know, you got to a point sort of mid-June where people were saying, hang on, how are we still having uh, 10 to 12 people dying every single day? Aren't we supposed to be past this? And I think there was a general uh, kind of discomfort, particularly in June, which was, you know, two months now after the peak, two, three months even. And I think there was a bit of a turning point there where people started to, to realize, oh, living with COVID isn't going to be like living before COVID or living without COVID. It really means it will be here and it will continue to have a toll on us or take a toll on us. You know, any objective uh, look at the numbers from June, which was when we were at our lowest point, 10 deaths a day, 3,000 deaths a year is a a lot. It's six times more than the flu. And if you asked, I think anyone stopped anyone on the street and said, what do you think of 3,000 COVID deaths a year? Are we post-COVID if we're in that scenario, I think most people would say, no, that's that's nothing like post-COVID or nothing like what I thought it would be. Do you think it was almost an attempt to will post-COVID into existence, you know, maybe from the media, but also from the public? Is there just a sense that this is too depressing? Well, I think we were poorly served, I think, by media coverage after the peak of the uh, first Omicron wave. There was no looking forward into, you know, what's this going to be in the short term or the long term. There was just this, all this focus on what would happen when Omicron peaked, and then it did, and nothing filled the void after that. Um, And so I think it's quite natural for people to assume that COVID is over. It's happened overseas. You saw countries saying, okay, we've got to the point now we're living with it. And then a new surge comes and new restrictions have to be imposed or there's a new vaccine that, uh, you know, a new booster that everyone's taking or, or whatever that shows that the pandemic really isn't over. On a personal level, do you kind of get that people just haven't wanted to hear that? You know, that they're over it, they're sick of it? I do understand that, uh, and particularly when you're thinking about the second wave and people thinking about what it means for 
social events and school holidays and vacations and things that they were planning for July and August and, and going, well, you know, I, I thought we'd be done with this by now, but it isn't a good reason to look away from reality. I mean, I, I may be aided by the fact that I write a lot about climate change as well. And boy, would it be nice to be able to just sort of say, oh, it's not happening. I think we're done with climate change. But the reality is we're not. And I think that's part of the job of the media, right, is to tell the hard truths because they're the truth. Do you think that maybe there's just been an unwillingness amongst parts of the media commentary that were telling us Omicron is mild and we can just learn to live with the virus to actually contend with the reality of, uh, you know, their wishes coming true? The, the tool that commentators can use that journalists can't use is to say, essentially, I don't know whether this is true or not, but some people are saying uh, this, that, or the other. And we saw that early on in Omicron with commentators writing that, you know, people are saying that Omicron is no more than a, a bad cold, which you can write that because you can't actually find a study that says that, right? If you're journalists, it's a lot harder to minimize COVID because bound to certain sort of factual standards, right? And so I think instead we've seen you know, straight reporting from mainstream media coverage of COVID dwindled after that March peak uh, up until BA5 kind of reared its head again. There are, for that, three reasons. One, journalists are people, just like anyone else, not wanting to keep having to think about and write about and deal with COVID. And so there's an audience question. You know, you reported a, a couple months ago that Stuff had sent out an internal email saying that the audience just wasn't there for COVID anymore. My experience as a journalist writing about COVID has been different, that my COVID stories are some of the most well-read stories that I, I do. But I work for a, a smaller independent outlet. We do in-depth stuff. Stuff has the mainstream audience to contend with. There's a point to which you should follow what audiences want and you shouldn't necessarily be trying to force something down their throats that they don't want. But with something like COVID, where it's such a huge, important thing that's happening, and that's going to keep happening, regardless of whether you write about it or not, I think that's where, you know, that that mission of journalism, journalism to tell the truth really comes in, and overrides maybe some of the audience imperatives. And then the third thing about COVID is just, we've gotten so used to covering it as a crisis. I don't think that uh, journalists have really figured out how to cover it as a daily issue, just like we cover all of the other daily issues that are, are really problematic, like crime and the road toll and healthcare and, and pressure on the health system from non-COVID things. But just because it's not a temporary crisis anymore doesn't mean that we should be ignoring it then. Stuff did send out this memo saying audiences have moved on from COVID. And I guess I have some sympathy for that because they kind of had, I guess. They they kind of be misinterpreting their data. And stuff does have these commercial incentives to give the customer what they want. They want to stay New Zealand's biggest news site. How do you navigate those commercial incentives to move away from what's an important and ongoing story? Not to comment on stuff's coverage in particular, but Meeting those commercial incentives is important because it's what allows outlets to actually fund journalists to cover things like climate change and COVID, which maybe don't get all the readers that they should, uh, but which are really important to continue covering. It's just about striking the right balance between you know, what your audience trends are in order to continue making enough money to hire journalists to do the public interest stuff. You know, To be fair, the stuff memo sort of said 
that there had been a lot of focus on on COVID, that many journalists had been covering COVID for you know years uh, at that stage. You could read it as as saying COVID isn't the sole story anymore, and we need to diversify our our coverage, um, and that I think is a, a good approach. But it doesn't mean stopping covering COVID entirely because COVID is is still here. Just realistically, what would coverage of COVID as an ongoing crisis or an ongoing concern look like? A few things. One, sort of the daily numbers updates, right? You know, when there's a a car crash that a number of people are injured or killed in, you know, that gets a a story in all of the local papers. And if it's in Auckland or Wellington or Christchurch, maybe it, it ends up in national papers as well. And similarly for COVID, you know, when when we're at a stage where we are now, where uh, sort of 19 maybe people are dying every single day with COVID, it would be good to see reporting on the people who did die and and sort of their struggles with the virus and so on. And it's not only about deaths either, of course. There are people, hundreds of people who are in hospital right now with COVID, and we don't really hear their stories nearly as much as we hear the stories of you know, of hospitality owners or, or retail owners who are concerned about COVID restrictions. And then there's long COVID, right? We know that tens of thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands, uh, have long COVID or will have it by the end of the year. It's covered still in New Zealand as a bit of an oddity, uh, when really it's going to become a relatively mainstream experience to have had within a couple of months. And there's a lot of good journalism that could be done around that. The other thing that covering COVID as an ongoing issue looks like is casting forward and trying to understand what's coming. As you know, a lot of people seemed quite surprised by BA5 uh, rocking on up in New Zealand, but there isn't very much coverage on either the variant issue or that sort of research and development for the next stage of vaccines, which is really, really important if we do want to actually get to the point where we can say we're post-COVID or at least that it's, it's no longer such a big deal. What about covering the level of death we are seeing daily as a scandal that is actually preventable in many ways? Is that something that we're missing a little bit outside of your reporting and a few others? Yeah, there's not really very much accountability journalism that that looks at holding the government accountable for essentially abandoning vulnerable people to the whims of the virus. You have this sort of very strange juxtaposition in in the gallery where where the covid minister will be asked by one person are you concerned about ba5 it's it's starting to spread in new zealand should we be increasing our restrictions and then in the next breath the next question is why aren't we in green when will we ever get to green do we have to wait until winter is over to get to green i'm not sure that either of those really get to the heart of the the present issue right which is that the current settings aren't aren't even aligned with a non-BA5 world and what government's job is in in doing that. But if you think about all the questioning, the, the many weeks, I think, uh, of uh, stories about gangs and crime and gang shootings and so on, you know, those have a real impact on people. But the scale of it as compared to COVID-19, it doesn't seem like the media focus is necessarily proportional. That was Mark Dalder, senior political reporter at newsroom.co.nz, who covers COVID-19 for the site, talking there to media watchers Hayden Donnell.